This is the at u2.com podcast for October 4th, 2020, talking all things U2, including new album news, tour dates, and community discussions from the staff of at u2. Before we jump into the discussion, I wanted to let you know that you can find links to items we discuss in this episode at www.goodstuff.fm slash at u2 slash 108. And if you're not already subscribed to the At You 2 podcast, you can find the show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you currently listen to podcasts. I'm Colin Suter, and joining me are uh, returning uh, guests, uh, Amy Fluhop. Welcome, Amy. Thanks, Colin. Thanks for having me. Uh, Becky Myers is here. Hello, Becky. Hi there. Hi. And uh, first time guest of the show, Marty Venturo um, is here. Welcome, Marty. Hello. Great to great to be on my first at YouTube podcast. Yeah. And uh, we're going to talk about the 20th anniversary of All That You Can't Leave Behind. Uh, Marty, this piqued your interest to be on the show because you've said it, you, you kind of like this album, right? Yeah, this is... Uh this album has a lot of sentimental uh, backing for me. I actually, it was, so I was born in 1997. I'm actually only 23. Um, and on my, like on my way to uh, summer camp as a kid, my dad would play this album in the car. Like on the way to work, he would drop us off at the summer camp. Mm. And so like some of my earliest memories of you two are hearing like walk on and beautiful day and elevation and stuck you know, I just named some of the singles there, but I think I think part of that stuck with me up until this point, you know, and it's probably my favorite album of all time. So, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, so how, so that that's what got you. And I was going to ask you, like, what got you into you, too? I'm assuming that's your all the same answer for that. Uh. Yeah, it's it's funny because that's some of my earliest memories, but I actually wasn't, I wouldn't necessarily consider myself like a YouTube fan per se, as I grew up, like I listened to a lot of different types of music. And then around the time that, um, songs of innocence came out, my dad got tickets to some of the Madison square garden shows, um, that they were doing. I think they were doing eight shows in like a two and a half week or two week span that tour. And, um, Leading up to it, I got like really into like listening to U twenty two, the live album, mm. and just looking at the set list of every show and like further delve myself into like wow, like listening to the albums, listening to everything, um, like watching the DVDs, Elevation <laughs> Live. We'll get to that, I'm sure. Yeah, um, and and I'm a guitarist, so like I had even more homework to do with like the edge of the guitar tone. And uh, and like getting a delay pedal and going down that whole rabbit hole, and since then it's just been like I've skyrocketed from being like wow, like they're really good to like they're my favorite band of all time. So <laughs> it's a lot of homework to have that's, to that's do. What got me into it, <laughs> but I have roots from before that that kind of like were like a foreshadowing, I guess you could say. So. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, that, that that's a lot of work to have to do uh, if you're coming into you two like in the mid two thousands. Like, there's so much to go back and look at. It's it's yeah. it's, it's kind of uh, yeah. overwhelming. You know, like, I remember <laughs> listening to No Line on the Horizon, um, like when it came out, because like I've gone, I had gone to you two shows with my dad from like the three sixty tour and um and the atomic bomb tour and like that stuff um but like i hadn't necessarily like 
like as I was growing up, just as a kid, like I had listened to other things and was into other music. And then that, at that point, that was when it like, I discovered them. I was like, wow, like how would I not paid more attention to them before? And since then I've, you know, I've been a total nerd for them. So <laughs> awesome. Well, welcome. Yeah, that's, that's how I <laughs> kind of got into it. Very cool. Um, so I just want to tell the listeners, uh, I, I, I'm sorry that we've been a little absent lately with the podcast. I think the last episode we did was in July, uh, or maybe it was August, but, um, it's been a while. So, uh, one of, we're, we're all battling our schedules, trying to put these episodes out when we can, and it doesn't always work out. So, um, but this was important. We, 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 we committed to this quite a while ago, uh, because this is an important album in YouTube's career. Definitely. Uh, but before we get to that, we're going to talk about a few news items that are, um, that have been percolating lately. Uh, the YouTube conference is coming up. Uh, October 18th through the 24th registration is open. Uh, if you want to get in on it, it's $40 in the U S I'm not sure what it is in, in other places in the world, but, um, there are, if you go to youtubeconference.com, you get a lot of information. You get all the information there. Um, I have not been to any of these conferences, uh, but Becky and Amy, I, I think you have, right? Becky, what uh, let let us know uh, what, what what's been your experience with these with the YouTube conferences, and are you planning on going? I will definitely be signing up for this one. It's and virtual. I forgot to I say it's been virtual. To one. What I said it's it's virtual. I forgot to mention it's a virtual conference. So right, yeah. this year is virtual, and that's a good way because that means they'll you know, reach a whole lot more people. I think that would be able to go to the far flung corners of the world, which is always a good thing. Um, so yeah, I think it's just $40, right. For the full conference, it's October 18th through the 24th virtual. And it's the theme is you two's looking for American soul, I believe. And, um, an international virtual YouTube conference for scholars and fans. And, uh, I highly recommend you know, registering for this y'all and checking in whenever you can, or as often as you can, you meet fans online. You hear from people who look at this from different perspectives. You know, there are a lot of, of course, religious connotations and societal connotations and really interesting perspectives and conversations come out of this. And you'll meet some great fellow fans. And I think they have a couple of fan interactive sessions as well. They usually do. Um, so Amy, you went last year. So what was your experience? Yeah, I went uh, in Sydney and it was, it was cool. Um, they had, yeah, the speakers that's got uh, Calhoun who runs it, uh, who's also a member of our at YouTube staff. So play for him. Uh, he, it was incredible. It was, um, Dallas was there. I, edges, I, you know, everyone knows him from edges, uh, guitar tech, uh, was there. It was kind of like the surprise, like, you know, appearance. He was really cool. Uh, and then, uh, Richard Lowenstein who did, uh, the love town show, um, the video movie from when, and it was in Australia, he was there and he also directed, um, he had a really close, uh, relationship with in excess. And so we got his, we had a screening, of uh, Mystify about Michael Hutchins. It was the documentary that Richard Lewinstein did. And um, it's out. I think I've talked about it when I did like my wrap up from going to Australia and New Zealand last fall. I talked about that. And then uh, Beth from the YouTube Tattoo Project presented and she was fantastic. And there were some other really great speakers. I'm sorry, I've left 
don't remember all of them. But it's just a lot of fun to kind of think about you two from a, a academic point of view. And then like, you know, Becky said to meet other fans and just kind of different ways to look at the band and then to kind of see how the band reaches other things. Like um, talking to Richard Lowenstein about, you know, the relationship between like you two and NXS and all that good stuff. So uh, I loved it. And I think it's really cool that it's virtual this year. I hope that more people are able to attend uh, because of that. And um, yeah, I definitely recommend it. I mean, everybody's looking for stuff to do right besides watch Netflix all the time or do whatever you're doing and just a way to connect. I know for me personally, I'm just finding, trying to find other ways to connect with people since I really feel isolated right now. Uh, so I think that's what I'm looking forward to with probably the most about it. So, yeah. And one other note that's pretty cool. I'm excited about this is they have attracted and booked. I think somebody who's going to be a really great keynote presentation speaker is Edel Rodriguez. Y'all might remember him. Uh, his artwork was featured on the YouTube experience and innocence tour. Really good stuff. So if y'all remember the beginning, you know, pre-show, they had all of his artwork, um, up on the screens, you know, on the, um, mm. on both sides. And it was really good. Good stuff. I actually follow him on Instagram. He's pretty cool. So that, I would definitely check it out if you can even just get into the keynote. It'll be good. Very cool. Um, yeah, if, if I wasn't buried in a in a master's program right now, uh, I would. And while working full time, I would definitely you know cough up the forty bucks for it. But uh, but yeah, no, it's cool. I'm, I'm glad they're still doing it. Um, it. It sounds great. One of these years, I'm I'm going to attend. I I, I promise. Uh, Marty, are you planning on attending this at all? Or um, I actually hadn't even looked looked too much at it. I've actually had a busy busy past couple of weeks, but uh, I'm probably going to do some research right after the podcast and go look and maybe pay the forty and and check it out. I've never been to one, just like you, Colin. So mm-hmm. so it would be my first time. But it definitely sounds interesting sounds like it's something cool for all you two fans to go check out obviously so yeah it sparked my interest maybe yeah um as far as what the the band is doing these days uh one of the things they've been doing uh in preparation for this anniversary release is uh going back and remastering all their videos in hd and they started with uh, "Stuck in the Moment," and uh, I think both versions of that that video that that song had like two or three videos, and I think they remastered both of them. Um, and they, they've done a few others as well. So uh, I think that's an ongoing project that will you know slowly uh, progress as time goes on, while they're not uh, putting out albums and touring, not like a lot of bands right now. Uh, but let's uh, let's dive into the discussion of all that you can't leave behind.
little tease of all those songs there. Um, so uh, this album came out on October 30th, 2000. Uh, it was a follow-up to Pop, or maybe more directly, is a fo- could look at it as a follow-up to the first uh, compilation CD that you two ever put out, the best of 1980 to 1990. And sometimes when you look at what U2 does in between albums, you can sort of get a sense of what the next album is going to sound like. And I think that's definitely the case here, because with that project, they released a a, a remastered, redone version of uh, The Sweetest Thing. And I think if you put that song on this album, uh, I think it would fit. And, uh, you know, this is kind of a, a, a U2's kind of back to basics in terms of just being stripped down. It's the most stripped down they'd sound uh, since since Rattle and Hum. But uh, let's uh, before we get into all that, let's just kind of go around and, uh, you know, talk about what where we were when we first heard this album. I know, Marty, you kind of told your story already. Um, so, uh, Becky, what was what was your first experience with with this album? You know, that's, I can't remember exactly, but what I do remember that I, like, the most memorable thing is the videos. Um, I, you know, some of the videos for this were so good, and, you know, I love the imagery of it all, like what they did with, you know, Charles Scott Airport, and uh, pretty sure it was... Which video is it where the airplane flies over? That's a beautiful <laughs> day. That video. Um, anyway, that's what I remember for me. It's just, I remember it more just listening to it. I can't even remember. Normally I remember the day they come out, go get them where I got them. You know, (laughs) did I wait in line? What sort of thing back in the day? But, um, this is one where I don't exactly remember all that and I don't know why. Mm. So I know, isn't that weird? (laughs) uh, I just remember listening to the album and listening to it a lot and, you know, like I do, I absorb them. I listen to them the whole way through. Take some time to really sort of feel the theme and discover what I like right off the bat, and maybe things that take a lot more listening and feeling over time, as their albums do, and things change depending on how we change, and then when we hear their songs live. Um, so yeah, I think for me it was just seeing. Some of the videos and i love the imagery that comes along with a lot of this of course mm-hmm. it's some amazing imagery all the graphics and um you know this the suitcases right the hearts right isn't yeah there's so much in this um so maybe that's more my experience is visual mm-hmm. and i associate actually some of those visuals are still my favorite that they've ever produced yeah. Um, the oh, and uh, did you have a uh, do you have a favorite track, or it doesn't even have to be an album track. It could be a B side or an outtake or a piece of music with this album that you that you like the most or have a strong response to. Oh gosh, I love. It depends on when you ask me, but I think um, one that I really liked, maybe just because it was different, was Wild Honey. I like that a lot. Um, right. And there are several B-sides that I like. But Wild Honey, I just kind of like the sound of it more than anything. The lyrics are kind of whatever, but uh, the sound of it was kind of fun. 
Yeah. So that might be one that I really liked early on. Okay. Uh, Amy, what about you? Uh, well, like Marty, this is my favorite album ever. Uh, forget just you two. Uh, I was a little bit late to the party. Uh, it came out uh, in 2000. I was a sophomore in college. And then, um, and I know we're going to get into this, uh, but uh, 9-11 happened, you know, about a year later, less than a year later. Uh, and I was a junior, in sc- you know, at school. And basically kind of it, it seems probably a little backwards. Um, I knew who you two were, obviously. I mean, everybody knows all their music, even if you don't realize that you know their music. But they had added that third leg of the Elevation Tour. And uh, I've talked about this in other podcasts and stuff, especially when we did uh, we talked about Walk On on the last podcast I was on with Becky um, and Colin and some other folks. Um, and it was for me, it was like I needed a distraction. I needed an adventure and just going to the show, driving from Springfield, Missouri, where I was going to school to Kansas City to see the show was just the right amount of like excitement and distraction and adventure. And it was that show that sort of like, made me a YouTube fan forever. And then of course the album, then when I got back, I just listened to that album over and over every day for the rest of the year. And just the comfort that it brought and the, you know, the way it made me feel and just the kind of the sense of routine that it brought by listening to it every day in my six CD changer in college. I have to point that out. Um, there was no digital then. Um, but that just really, and my favorite uh, track is Kite, actually. It's probably one of my favorite tracks ever, probably top five for me, um, because at the show, it was really powerful. And I think, like I said, I think I've talked about this before in pieces I've written, but I had a bad experience. I had a friend that I wasn't going to be friends with anymore. And it was like hearing that song was kind of like, uh, helped, it really helped me to kind of hear that song. And like I said, I had this friend that I wasn't, we weren't doing so great. And it was the way Bono sang that song at the show at Kemper Arena in Kansas City, you know, um, it kind of helped me to be comforted by that and to not necessarily be sad as much. Um, so Kite is my favorite track on the album. Uh, when I tell, I guess the top five ever, I do believe it's the only time I've ever heard, heard it live was at that show, but that was my introduction to it. And, uh, now listening to it over and over again, uh, 20 years later, given the current situation, uh, I just find the, the comfort that it brings again. I also like the ground beneath our feet, which was, I know an add on and it was from the million dollar hotel, but that's probably my other like weird second favorite too. Um, you know, they didn't totally write it, uh, at least not the lyrics. Um, Salman Rushdie did, but I still love that track as well. So, yeah. Um, Marty, I forgot to ask you, what was your, your favorite song from this era? Um, my favorite song from All That You Can't Leave Behind would have to be When I Look at the World, um, which is, it's, I feel like it's a very underappreciated song. I I know they've never played it live. I was, yeah. a while back, I was on YouTube, like, you know, just looking up, like, I think I was going down, like, a YouTube live versions rabbit hole of, like, looking at different songs and whatnot, and I realized that they hadn't played that one live or Grace, because those are, like, my two favorite favorite songs off the album and I was like wow like that's such a for me like and I'm I'm I look at some of these from like a guitarist perspective because like like I said I've been I play guitar and um and like the sounds that they were able to achieve like like the distorted background guitars are kind of like a it's it's kind of like a signature edge just like almost like a perfect distortion sound for the song at that moment but some of those like they almost sound like synthy or like a pad 
um, like with the with the delay almost. They're just incredible sounds, and then the solo that he does, like it's almost like a Tom Morello style of like using like a whammy pedal going up and down in the octave and stuff is is incredible. It, it's a song that I don't think I've. There are definitely songs that sound similar to it, but I don't think I think that one stands out. Like considering the topic, too, like very powerful, just like perspective kind of thing that song has always always touched me and at the point in the album that it comes to like it's kind of like that middle point like right after peace on earth right before new york where you're like like it fills that spot so perfectly for me but that would have to be my favorite track for sure yeah uh you and chris rock are big fans of that song um if you heard that chris rock interview on uh on the youtube uh, XM station, uh, Bono interviewing Chris Rock. Chris Rock was like, "You like you you obviously didn't write that song. Uh, that song had to exist first. But you you know he, he's really showering Bono with praise uh, yeah. with that. Um, interesting. Yeah, it's a great interview. It's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, my I, my first experience with it was uh, you know it was lining up at midnight to to go buy it when that was still a thing. Uh, I think we went to my friend and I and I went we went to Tower Records and uh, and bought our copies and uh, went home and listened to them till you know two or three in the morning and then took took the day off uh, work the next day and listened to it some more. It was also the time when YouTube dot com was still coming together like it was they were still there they they tried having a website when Popmart came out and it wasn't that great and then they tried just to do a straight up u2.com and they were putting it together while they were putting the album together and they were dropping these little sound clues uh on their graphics so you move the mouse over to like the guitar and you hear like this little sound you're like Ooh, what's that that sounds like something edge did or you know um which I thought was pretty that, that that was a that was a fun time to be a U two fan because there were there were just so many great things happening and he just knew like this was going to be the one that would bring them back into the mainstream as a as a you know bonafide rock act I mean you know the pop and pop mart great I think I mean I love the pop and pop mart stuff but you know it wasn't uh, a mainstream favorite they had a lot of you know problems with it and then this one I. You know, Becky, I, I I kind of agree. Like, Wild Honey is one of those songs that I guess I don't know. You either love it or hate it. I don't know why people don't. There's a lot of people who don't like it, but um, I was looking listening to it this morning, and I was like, man, I can't think of another U2 song off the top of my head where they sound this relaxed. You know, it's like that. That kind of like sums up the album. It's such a relaxed album. After all they did in the 90s, all the experimentations, all the big rock shows, all the pressure they put on themselves and all the problems they had with Pop Mart, it was like, this is the album they deserve to make. Uh, they deserve to make a back-to-basics record where the, without so much experimentation, a stripped-down rock show, um, you know, without giant 500-foot uh, screens or whatever – and just like just sound like a band again, which was kind of the one of the sound drops that Bono used a lot was like, you know, we wanted to sound like four guys playing in a room again. And that's exactly what this album sounds like, even though you still got Brian Eno and Daniel Lanois at the controls and um, really giving it a, a, a great production value, but not the kind that you'd expect from that from that duo. 
uh, after Octung Baby and, and Zuropa and things like that. I mean, it's, um, I don't know. It's, 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 it's definitely a case of them, of the, of you two, like putting the band back together after Pop Mart, you know, by bringing those two in and saying, you know, we did our best work with these guys and we just, we need to have them back now just to get us back on track. Um, musically speaking. And, uh, you know, releasing it in late October, I thought, you know, releasing the Beautiful Day single uh, before uh, October 30th, making it eligible for the Grammys the following February, and then the album coming out October 30th after that Grammy deadline and making that album eligible for the next Grammys. It was just like kind of a, you know, kind of a nice strategy there to sort of keep the album alive and commercial and and in the public eye. And I think they they were considering that when they when they released that, but uh, there were different versions of the album released. Um, you know, some ended with Grace, and then other copies ended with um, the ground beneath her feet. And then uh, you know, there, and then there's like one version where it ends with Grace, but then you get a bonus CD that has the Summer Rain B side on there. Um, so they were they were experimenting with that too. Um, Becky, you were talking about the photography and the symbols, uh, for this album being very distinct. Yeah. I mean, they went back into, I don't know. I mean, I just really like what they did. It's, it was black and white too, you know, on the cover, right. It was not, uh, color photos, but then, you know, they brought in some symbols. It was like black white and red and gray i think were the colors right mm-hmm. pretty much yeah for all of this but then i'm actually pulled out my tour book and this is where the suitcase showed up with the heart in it and um super cool i mean it, to me the suitcase says so much and if you guys have watched the stateless video that's in there that icon is back in there even though it's all chrome or silver or whatever they're trying to represent there mm-hmm. um so the suitcase is floating around in that video and um you know just think every time they do something new they i mean kudos to you know the people over at amp visual and uh all the guys sean mcgrath everybody that works on these for them since beginning of time. They just do such a nice job of creating this visual identity as the years go on. They'll create, uh, they'll keep it consistent, but then sometimes it's all new. Of course, this was all new after pop, which is probably a good thing. Um, Although I love some of that, the visuals for that too, the iconography. And I can't say the show is my favorite, Um, but I am glad, you know, like you were, saying that they came back to ground on this one and kind of made an album. I grew up in an era where when you went to concerts, it was basically guys on a stage. You were lucky if you had a screen, and if you were in the nosebleed, you really couldn't see much. And so thankfully, you know, you two came around and they started making it a lot better. And um, anyway, I think just the whole feel of this album, and maybe that's why they went with black and white. I don't know. Maybe someone out there knows you know with the cover uh why it was black and white maybe they were stripping that down too you know and when you talk about relaxed if you think about the album cover where they're just standing there (laughs) you know in the middle of the airport like kind of look like they're waiting for their plane to be ready their flight to be ready 
Yeah, I want to know who um, who I want to know who put Bono in charge of the itinerary. What are they thinking? He loses everything. <laughs> I mean, come on. Exactly. <laughs> Adam's looking Bad at Bono idea. like, "What? You got this, right? Where are we supposed to go? Come on, you're in charge." And you know, exactly. that's but not a good idea. Yeah, he can't be in charge. He doesn't even drive. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's part. I don't think he's driven in a long time. I don't think people would let him. Um. Anyway, yeah, and I was going to say, and I know we're probably going to get to this in a minute. Um, the other song that I loved when I first heard it was Elevation, of course. But what I loved about it was just the, you could jam to it. <laughs> you know, it like had such a great, you know, the beat, just the pace of the song and the lyrics and sort of just everything about it, I really loved. And I actually, that is still one of my favorite songs. So I remembered that while you guys were talking about it. Yeah. The, um, I remember the, in the documentary, it might get loud when edge, uh, demonstrated how he got that sound and what he's playing on the guitar is nothing. It's like, it sounds like, you know, any, you know, five-year-old could play that what he's doing. It's the like effect that he found with the pedal and all that. Uh, Marty, you probably, you're, you're much more of an authority on this, but, that's a cool scene in that movie when he's when he's describing that, uh, where you realize like Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is. That would be so good. That, yeah, Marty, I'd like to hear what you scene, have to say about I think that. I've seen someone probably put up a YouTube video of, of just like that forty second, forty five second clip from that movie where he's where he's sitting there and he's like, Here are the two chords. This is what I'm actually playing. That's it. The rest is the foot pedal, the effects, the whole thing. Like it's just a five to one, mm-hmm. and then he kicks on the pedal. It's like wee wee, and and you're just like mind blown. I mean, from I'll probably like I'm probably gonna beat the dead horse with the guitar thing, but like from a guitarist perspective, you're like it sounds like a wah and a fuzz and that pedal is actually like a one of a kind pedal that I've done research on being a, you know, edge guitar nerd. I am it's, it's called a custom K fuzz, I think. And it's, it's basically a fuzz pedal in a wah enclosure. So you sweep, um, it, it almost acts like a wah pedal, like Jimi Hendrix would have used, and and also a fuzz pedal that Jimi Hendrix would have used, and one that makes it do that that specific sound. Um, yeah, it's 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 an insane pedal because you know you can achieve that tone, and I'm sure there were probably other elements of the sound that got it to that with production too. But it's like like it's something you'd never heard before, or in that specific like context before that song, and he he just came up with it like that. Yeah, um, and it, and it, that that was one That's of the, really awesome. yeah, and that was that was definitely one of, uh, and that was one of the singles that that came from this album, and I think this is another uh, case in which uh, you know you two really nailed it as far as what songs to release as singles. Sometimes they get that wrong. Something sometimes they get that gravely wrong, but uh, this was, I mean. You know, it, it, the album is front-loaded with four big singles, uh, Beautiful Day, Stuck in the Moment, uh, Elevation, and Walk On. 
and uh and beautiful day i think has probably endured the most as as far as a big single they still play it at every show it's kind of become one of those staples they can't not play it now um and we did a a big dissection of walk on uh, a few months back where uh i think Be- yeah becky you were on that show right i was and, and yeah. amy were you on that show too amy yes, was, was. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah three of us yeah with uh, ian that's yeah, right that's really right cool. Yes. If you think about what you were just saying, Colin, like those four songs endure the test of time. They are still out there. When I'm in a store, I hear Beautiful Day or sometimes I'll hear Stuck in a Moment. You hear these songs and I think current you two, you know, like people people who are younger than me, you know, um, that's they're going to hear that and they'll go, oh, that's you too you know it's like that's probably what they heard first like amy you and ian or not ian marty are talking about um i love to see that this is the album that brought in a whole new group of fans and those fans have stuck around and i love it you know i was brought in in the 80s different era with the war album was mine so it's really cool to look at this one and go, yeah, this really was a return, only better in my mind to some things they had done prior. Yeah. Well, I can say that it did bring me in, so I can definitely vouch <laughs> for, I mean, I'm not old, I'm not young. I'm definitely kind of really between Marty and Becky um, for his age goes. And yeah, it brought me in. It brought a whole generation. Maybe we were like elementary school kids when Joshua Tree came out and we kind of remember that and we knew the songs. But then we got old enough to maybe see them at concert for the first time or uh, just kind of be more aware of it. And we were kind of all at the age where we're old enough to remember and like 9-11 and kind of where we were. But we were still kind of had our innocence kind of taken away by 9-11. And this album, I know for me, it kind of the, that timing in my life is just so critical to why I love you too so much just because of what the album brought me when I was feeling like my innocence was totally lost after 9-11 and then to have this album kind of be, it's just the timing of it still just gets me how, you know, 11, 10 months before that tragedy, we had this album like ready to go. It was like, oh, you need some comfort? Here you go. We've already got it like primed and ready for you. And, you know, the the leg uh, of the elevation to it they added afterwards. So I, I think they did it. If their goal was to, you know, reinvigorate themselves and bring them back, um, definitely succeeded with me. And I know a lot of other you know contemporary youtube fans um i think it yeah definitely and like you guys were saying these are songs that they play at every show since these are right up there with you know beautiful day elevation you can't go to a current show on every tour probably since they've played those songs Mm -hmm. and i think that that really speaks to the longevity of the album as well yeah it's hard it's hard not to think what happened with this album uh after 9-11 happened because that it really that did really bring uh, a lot of people in because there's you look at this album and you feel like they wrote it after nine 11. And those are always the albums to me by any artist that really are seem stronger and more relevant to me. The ones that gain relevance after tragedy, as opposed to ones that are written, you know, after a tragedy or, you know, about a tragedy. Uh, the same thing happened with Wilco's album, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, where there are songs on that album that you just go, wow, they, they're evoking 9-11 imagery with these songs. How did they, you know, but it was written before then. Um, and there's something about that I think that's even more powerful. 
Uh, I've heard some people sort of, uh, you know, I've heard some people put the theory out like that. If you listen to this album backwards, not like, you know, tape loop backwards, but like in reverse order, start with grace. And then, you know, New York, when I look at the world, it almost sounds like that's the soundtrack to nine 11. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's like yeah. hopeful, yeah. this message of hope afterwards, if you end with beautiful day, um, but there are, I mean, it's not just the New York song, but I mean, you know, you got peace on earth. You got, when I look at the world and a beautiful day, it was a beautiful day that September morning. Um, and then, you know, walk on was used in a lot of videos uh, post nine 11 that were, I, I think you two actually commissioned one, an official video for walk on uh, after nine 11 that had, uh, that was comprised of video uh, footage of, uh, firefighters and policemen and first responders uh, at the Twin Towers. I mean, so this was really, you know, uh, the right album at the right time uh, for a lot of people, not just the band, but for a lot of people. Uh, they found comfort in this album. I read a lot of op eds and the, you know, saying, you know, hey, have you have you got have you all gone back and listened to that that U two album that came out last year? Go listen to it because it's it's it will bring you some kind of comfort and 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 healing. Um, and, uh, it's, it it was, it was kind of, and then the tour, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that as well. Uh, yeah, Marty, you're, you live in New York. Uh, what, I mean, I know you were a little kid when this happened. You were born in 97, right? Is that what you said? Yeah. 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 yeah, 1997. Um, but do you have any memory of that or like a recollection, like direct, I mean, yes, I have a really, um, interesting perspective on it being in this area and it obviously i'm actually from new jersey um if if i was out of state talking to someone i probably could pass with saying i'm from new york because i've been to new york so many times and have friends who live there now and i'm very familiar with it but uh i am from new jersey but um but yeah i had an interesting perspective because my dad actually at the time worked at um fort monmouth uh, military installation in Monmouth, New Jersey. And at the time, like I was going to preschool up there um, and he would drive us. So this was kind of tying back into what I was saying earlier about like my first exposure to the album. Um, he would drive me and my sister was born at that. I'd sometimes forget when my sister was alive, but uh, <laughs> he would drive us to preschool and drop us off and then go to work, pick us up at the end of the day. And we would come home and on a certain stretch of the garden state parkway. Um, I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the bridge, but you cross a bridge and I can't even remember what river it goes over, but you can see the New York skyline. Like it's not clear as day, but you can see it on a beautiful day. Pardon the pun. Um, clear day. You can see buildings like, like crystal clear. And, I, I do remember that day because they closed the installation early because, I, I mean, obviously they were concerned. No one really knew what was going on. And he picked me up. He picked my sister up. And as like a four-year-old kid coming back that day, I just remember looking out the window and seeing smoke like in the city. I, and at the time, like my parents explaining to me sort of what was going on, but not really much of that other than like maybe the TV being on at home and like, you know, everything kind of being in a frenzy. But I do remember that, that very poignant image of, of crossing this bridge and, um, 
and looking over there like to our right and seeing the smoke obviously from from the fires and uh and yeah i actually was going to write a uh so i took a class at a uh, berkeley called rock history online and our final paper was to write about a rock album that has like roots in in like america like it had to do with america um and i'm i can't even remember what the like basis of it was but i remember i couldn't write about joshua tree because it was already in the national it was it was something with congress there were like 27 albums that were already in there mm. and i originally was going to write about this album because of what we were what we've been talking about with like the roots of of i mean i guess not the roots because it happened before but um the album happened before but like you know with walk on like ending some of the shows especially the new york shows where they brought the firefighters up on stage and like that like legendary show that everyone talks about on the elevation tour where it was like magical their first show back after the attacks and like obviously the super bowl performance um in 2002 i think it was when they had the names right and i think that was something they did at other shows and i was going to write about like all of that and then in research i didn't i didn't there wasn't there didn't end up being enough really to write like a 5 or 10 page paper about it so i went i actually ended up going with uh the rising by bruce springsteen but but the fact that it it has that much attach you know attachment to this incredibly tragic event and it's such a hopeful album that's probably why because people were you know i mean grace is like a very therapeutic song like i can listen to that and close my eyes and you know be in a completely different place and you know beautiful day songs like that so but yeah, yeah that my perspective is kind of like i i i was in this area you know and do have very vague you know things that'll probably last with me for the rest of my life um, memories of that day. So, I think that's really poignant because I'm a Midwesterner and I can say that I experienced 9-11, but I experienced it through a television and I was old enough, but I think that's really poignant, like Marty's point. And I remember you talking about this um, in our chats about how you wanted to pick all that you can't leave behind to write about for school just because of the impact that it had on like just the American psyche and kind of becoming like a part of like American pop culture history really even and even beyond that. And I don't, when they wrote it, I guess some of the songs were kind of describing like troubles in Ireland, right? Or is that what you guys know of? I'm trying to kind of, I don't know enough about the origins of the album as well as I would like to, but is that Colin and Becky, can you guys speak to that? Like maybe what some of those songs were originally about and then kind of what they, like you guys talked about, it feels like it was written after 9-11, but it wasn't. So can you, either you guys speak to that? That words yeah, of it or? definitely was not written after yeah it because they were working on that well you know how they are they bring forth pieces of songs and music you know that they might have worked on 20 years ago but i think um this one they were deliberate you know coming out of pop knowing that they didn't want to sound like that you know they i think they were proud of the work but they it didn't take off the way they wanted it to or that they thought it might and so they realized, I think Colin, you were talking about this earlier, they're like, we kind of have to come back to our roots a little bit. And that's when they got in touch with uh, 
Daniel Lanwine and Steve Lillywhite again because they've always helped them produce I guess their most popular albums, if you will, but they have a way of just getting music out of these guys. And I think um, when I was looking at some things before this podcast, uh, a couple of years before this, Bono's dad was diagnosed with cancer, right? 1988. And his dad wasn't really, you know, he doesn't, he never let people in really well, right? Especially Bono. And then right after that, Bono was having trouble with his vocal cords and his doctor told him, we need to go in and do a biopsy. And he's like, what? So he said, I just have to put a camera down there and go look at it. So Bono did, but he didn't tell his wife. He didn't tell the band. He went and had that, just the camera, you know, look like they had to put him out to do it. Some version of, you know, Twilight or out. And then he knew when he was done, like he was okay. But this whole thing just scared the the dew out of him. And um, so there were a lot of these things that were happening for him. And, uh, you know, Larry always, what does he say? Oh, it's going to be a jeans and t-shirt album. There was also <laughs> Jubilee happening at that time. So the band was working in the studio um, where Bono was out working the political side, you know, for Jubilee 2000. And so he wasn't in the out in the studio with them a lot at the same time. Those are some of the things I do know about that time. And, uh, but they had been starting to think about this album. Um, what was it? They put out the best of at that point. Um, so from 1980 to 1990, which kind of surprised me. I never thought they would be doing best of compilations. I'm glad they did. But, um, yeah, they they always Anyways. said they weren't they were never going to do that, but right. uh, but you know when you're between albums and you know, your money's not coming in, you got to do something. Right. Not not I to be cynical, but best. yeah, I think that's a great best of album. Actually, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think. Yeah, there were well, Becky, that's you were talking some about backdrop. Yeah, like second a moment was written for, and I know there's probably controversy, but. Um, to my knowledge, Second a Moment was written about Michael Hutchins. I know there's controversy yes. over how and why he died, um, but I right. talked about this earlier, uh, last fall. They did it two nights in a row in Sydney, and Bono said he during those performances, you know, I, it's like an argument that he's having with Michael Hutchins. Like, that's when he wrote the song. And so, but in the fact that it sounds like it came out after 9-11, for me, when I hear it, I... Like at the time, stuck in the moment was, you know, the experience of the trauma of 9-11. That's what I kind of, you know, attached to it, even though that wasn't how it was written. And now I kind of appreciate how it was written and why and the meaning behind it. But I think stuck in the moment just applies to so many situations around that time. Um, so it is, stuck in the moment's another one that's like, wow, it really feels like it was written after. But, you know, it wasn't. And, you know, there's a different reason. So. Yeah, um, no, that's interesting because that actually was part of, I mean, it was Michael, you know, and Bono was really upset, of course, and Ali was even more upset. They were really close. I just remember when all this happened and hearing that song, it's like, wow, I, I still love that song too. I guess we probably all do. But yeah. That's an interesting perspective because, you know, I knew at the time that's what it was about. And so I think my mind always goes there still when I hear it about Michael. Yeah. Um, 
And then I just want to I just want to backtrack a little bit because Becky, I think Amy was telling me that you and I were talking over each other because we couldn't hear each other. Um, so uh, from on my soundboard, I know I got my spiel about you know the nine eleven connection to this album, but I want to make sure I get yours too, uh, uninterrupted, and you know because I I think I I think I may have missed it. Uh, so if I don't if you want to like, sure. Sure. Do it um, again, because <laughs> I I did okay. not hear it. <laughs> that's all right. We uh, technical difficulties. Yeah. I was so for me. Um, I love the album. I went to one of the shows. I think it was in Houston. You know when they came through, and I loved it. And I was so excited to be there. And I was like, wow, it was a great show. And then, you know. After 9-11, I was kind of like, I have to go again. And they had come back to Texas, but they were in Austin. So I got tickets and went up the road. And that's when, of course, everything was different. It was a completely different concert. And, it, you know, what I was saying earlier is they, they gave us a way to grieve. They gave us comfort. They gave us hope. And... It, I think what they gave us through this album after 9-11 was a huge gift collectively. And um, for me, you know, just being able to sit there through that entire concert and cry because we were, I mean, we were hurt. We were fractured. We were, it was, you know, an unheard of tragedy in our part of the world. And so, you know, for me, I think just, how they were able to help people who came to those shows was pretty incredible. Um, I didn't see dry eyes in the place at all. And I will say they, that night they did have the names on the screen. Yeah. Um, the people who died on nine 11. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And I saw the show, same show. I think you probably did in Kansas city, but it was interesting because it was the time to grieve, but it was also the first time after nine 11 that I felt it was okay to be happy as weird as that is. I felt both that night. It was like, you know, you play Elevation, you play Beautiful Day. So it was finally permission to have a good time and not be afraid because you're really going to have a group of people. So I admit, you know, being 20 years old, I was like, ooh, big groups of people. Is this safe? I know that sounds crazy, but um, but it was kind of both. Like you had permission to grieve, but you also for the first time felt like people just like collectively like letting their breath out, like a sigh of relief. If that makes – you kind of had the dichotomy of both of those in that same night. And I think that also plays into why that show has stuck with me forever and why the band has stuck with me forever kind of mm. the result of that so yeah i don't think it's crazy that you were worried about being in a group of people we all were for a long time yeah. I think. oh yeah and i remember yeah. i remember uh the week of of 9 11 a bunch of u2 fans you know were in a chat room maybe for u2 tours or something you know just trying to talk to each other about this and uh i remember thinking that going back to rattle and hum in the movie when Bono says, uh, I'm not sure we should put Sunday Bloody Sunday in this film because the day of that bombing was a big day for, for Ireland and people aren't going to understand what the, you know, what it is we're really singing about. And I remember thinking, well, now we do, <laughs> you know, uh, oh, yeah. you know, it's just like, oh yeah, this is like, if they, you know, them coming back to America. And also I remember like, um, they were going to officially announce the second American leg, you know, the third leg of the tour uh, in America in the fall. 
and they were going to announce it on September 11th, but then they changed court. They said, you know, let's just announce it on Monday. Let's just do it on Monday. Why are we doing it on Tuesday? Let's just do it on Monday. Yeah, all right. Okay. And then so they like made the announcement on Monday morning and tickets went on, you know, went on sale. Uh I think that week. Um or maybe two weeks later. Maybe they I think they probably postponed the ticket sale. But um but yeah, it was just like kind of a weird fluke that they were just gonna be like, Yeah, well, we'll, we're we're gonna change our mind. We're gonna do it on Monday instead. It's like wow. <laughs> um so uh yeah, and I went to the first show that they did after 9-11 when they came back to the States was at uh, Notre Dame, which was an unusual venue for them to play in. It was a much smaller venue, uh, but they still had the whole, you know, heart and everything in there. And uh, I remember we went and it was like, you know, it was so kind of eerie or, but also like you said, comforting and joyful and it was like, well, how are they going to do New York? How are they going to do New York? They, they, you know, that's been played on the show all tour. And like, how are they going to do? Uh, what's that going to be like? And it was just like everything, every choice they made was in the name of healing and, you know, letting us feel joy again. And, uh, man, it was never, there's never a better time to have you two on tour uh, in this country than then after nine eleven, I mean, it was just it was it was mm. just the greatest uh, catharsis ever. Um, there you go. That's yeah. the word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And agree. and garbage opened for them, which was just That's- even better. It was like just. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, that was my favorite opening band so far for you two. I think. Well, Arcade Fire, but I never saw Arcade Fire open for you two. So, but anyway. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about just about the tour then uh since we're on the subject this was a this was like going to set the state the, the standard for all U2 tours for the next you know 20 years the next foreseeable future the floor is going to be general admission from now on and it has been ever since uh and it's made a, it made a world of difference for the band because they were sick of seeing all the you know, the, the wall street types in the front row of pop Mart, uh, who got, you know, the $500 front row tickets who were, aren't real diehard fans. They just wanted to be in the front row and to brag about it. And that kind of, you know, sort of sapped their energy a little bit because they, you know, feed off the energy of the audience. And there was a very stripped down, um, aesthetic to it they did some club dates in new york uh before the tour started just to kind of set the tone there that they were just like this is a we're getting back to basics now um and the i i just remember there was confusion about the ticket sales because we weren't sure what some of these new terms meant like golden circle um and general admission i was like well wait how come golden circle tickets are way more expensive than general admission tickets. These must be like a special part of the general admission. Uh, you know, it was just like that kind of thing that, that we all, right. none of us knew what it meant. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, because of this general admission and the, that low ticket price, I mean, I don't know how many shows you guys saw, but I saw 11 shows on that tour, which is the, you know, the record for me. Um, I, so, and, and just every, every, every show was, was pure joy. And it's like, I couldn't believe when you got into the, inside the heart and you just look up at the stage and you're like, Oh my God, you two is going to be right there in front of me. Like there's no barrier. Like, like there was for pop Mart, you know, you got like this, you know, this, this like trench between the audience and the stage. 
And this one's just like, no, Bono's feet are going to be like right there in front of me, t- you know, two feet away. That's yeah. insane. Oh, my God. I mean, that was just like I freaked out when I first went inside the heart and got up to the front. I couldn't believe yeah. it. Um, so, th- yeah. So, I mean, this is just my favorite touring experience of this band ever is the Elevation Tour. So let- let's go around and-, and-, and talk a little bit about that. Um, I know, Marty, you didn't you didn't you were obviously you do. You weren't you didn't see any Elevation shows at the age of uh, four, did you? Myself, I did not see any. I was I was four, so I know yeah. I do know my parents. Uh, I was going to say parents, that your dad did. Yeah, my. It's funny. I was in the I was in our basement a while ago. I think it was after COVID had started, and he's working in the basement doing whatever he's doing, and he had a bootleg playing because he he would you know tape the shows. Him and him and his friends have like legendary stories about bringing in tape recorders, putting them in the pocket, switching the tape at that whatever point in the concert and it was from i want to say it was from one of the new york elevation shows um but but it was a youtube you know show nonetheless um but yeah i i know they did i didn't get to go to any the only experience i have would be um the videos so sling castle um which they just they just did the live stream for a while ago. I mean, that was in June, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, and I remember I I I think my subscription to YouTube.com had like gone up at some point, and I was like, well, I'm paying the fifty dollars just to watch that at least once that weekend. And um, but that and the the Boston DVD, um, the Boston DVD, I. I have a personal history of like, you know, through my past four years of five years of college of just pulling all nighters, writing papers, doing whatever I'm doing. And, and that's what I'll put on. Or if, or if I'm, um, cause I was up in Boston, I was actually up in Boston at school. And so when I would come home, my dad would come up and drive me or I'd take the train. So, you know, packing my suitcase, if I, if I'm pulling an all nighter doing that, because I was doing busy during the day and, I'll put that on and, and sit there and pack my suitcase to the Boston elevation show. And that's, if there was, I remember someone on Twitter a while ago was saying, they tweeted like, if you could pick one concert in history to go back and watch, which one would it be? That one would be mine. It's, it's like one of the most, I, I mean, it's magical to me and it's not even, I'm not even there and I'll never experience it live. Like, like some people did. And, and even it was interesting. One of my dad's friends, um, I don't know if he found it online or if he had it or what it was, but it was an in-ear monitors uh, mix of Bono's vocal from that show. But like the you know the in-ear monitor mix of of everything that they hear on stage is completely different from what you're hearing out of the front of house. And I was so like, he knew I loved that show. And, and I was like, I, I first, I didn't even know that they, that in the DVD, they cut mysterious ways and pride from the DVD. I had no clue that that had happened. So I, I'm like listening to this and like mysterious ways comes on. And I'm like, what? Like, this is, this is nuts. I didn't even know that this was, this was there. And of course, like, you know, par for the course with that show, like, it was an incredible version, almost like every other song in that concert. And then pride too. also the, the fact that desire 
they cut like the last like five or six minutes or seven minutes from the end of it where he, where Bono is just like playing with the crowd. I think at one point he was chanting like Yankee suck or something like that. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely hilarious. If, if that boot, if that bootleg or IEM recording, whatever is online, I encourage everyone to go listen to the whole thing, but that desire, like, you know, cause they vamp on desire all the time. There's, there's like, I can't even remember some of the stuff he says, but the first time I listened to it, I was like crying laughing just cause it's, it's classic Bono, you know, engaging with the crowd, you know, like chanting things, they're chanting it back. Like I think he was G L O R I A Gloria. He, he did that for like five minutes straight. It was <laughs> insane. But, but yeah, that, that show it like me not even having experienced it. Like I can feel it every time I watch it. The performances are incredible. You know, the connection with the crowd, you get the crowd noise in the DVD too. Mm-hmm. They did an incredible job on that. So that's, that's all I can speak for, for, for that. But well, it's almost like you were there. How awesome that is to hear somebody born in 1997 get that excited about you too. Like if the band is worried about their legacy, I would say it's safe because Can you Marty get that excited about it? Makes me excited about it. Oh, and, yeah. I know, know. I love that's it. That's so cool. Yeah. Anyway, I love it. I, I just love it. I just think anybody who thinks that this band is past their time, whatever. Go uh, away. Yeah, because, whatever. Yeah. yeah, because they're still bringing excitement to people who oh. were tiny humans when they were, weren't were even born during like their Joshua Drew heyday. And then for that, exactly. I don't know. I love it. I think that's fantastic. That makes me so happy to hear Marty get excited. Mm-hmm. It makes so. me happy. Because I know so many people, you know, are going to just continue to love this band. And uh, that really makes me happy because, you know, I'm closer to their age than y'all's age. And it's just, you know, I've grown up with them. I've had that pleasure, you know, and started listening to them when I was in high school. They were coming out. You know, they're a few years older than me, but um, I just remember that. So what I was recalling um, talking about this tour because it opened in Jupiter, Florida, right? Yeah. And I remember thinking, oh, I'd really want to go over there and get a ticket to the show. And this is really before the internet was big deal. And um, it was really, you know, I didn't know how to go get tickets for something over there. You know, I just, I would always go down and get tickets, you know, from my ticket master or whatever, my local ticket master. And, um, but I just remember knowing they were opening there and how much I wanted to be there, but I did end up, you know, they came to Houston on that first leg. And then I did just go look up leg three in Austin. That was November 5th when I saw them. So it was two months after nine 11, but you know, so it was, um, yeah, I was just so excited to even be in the arena when they came through, you know, and I think I had seats, expensive seats, and um, lower lower deck somewhere. I can't remember. I think I was on um, Adam's side, I'm sure. <laughs> I was going to say, if you weren't on Adam. Adam's side, I would be surprised. Right. So, <laughs> that's, that's yeah, I mean, I've been on both sides, but yeah, I think that when I was over there, um Anyway, and when I went to Austin, it was a much smaller arena. It's, uh, I think they've taken that down since then, but uh, it was just like where the UT basketball played their games and such. But anyway, yeah, that was a great tour. I mean, it was before and after 9-11. Yeah. Amy, what about you? How many did, were you 
Oh, uh, yeah. That was my first show. Uh, it was yeah. the only show. I have definitely made up for that since then. I always said mm-hmm. that when I got older and if I had time and financial ability, I would, and I've done that since. I've done a lot of traveling since then. But this show definitely started me wanting to do that. Me being like, okay, when I'm older, when I'm, you know, able to, when life affords me, if life ever affords me the chance, because that show just set the set the tone, set the, like, there are parts of it that I will never forget. There are other shows that I will admit, especially, you know, if I've been to multiple shows on the same tour, I remember parts of them, but there are so many moments from that first show. And like I said, I was, I had seats too, but I'm really short. So I'll be honest, full disclosure, the first time I ever did GA was like 2017 because I was always afraid I wouldn't be able to see, but GA is fine. Um, glad I did it. Glad I've done it since, but I had seats and uh, we were on the, looking at the stage, right-hand side. And uh, I remember about that show, I remember I got a t-shirt and I remember putting the t-shirt on and I don't know if I've done that like any other just like random shows, but I don't know, I guess maybe I knew without knowing that it was going to be a big night. So I bought the t-shirt, got a keychain, put the t-shirt on, was wearing the t-shirt the whole night and Bono came out and I remember he just like, they started out and they started out with, I think it was Elevation is what they usually started with. I could be wrong. I didn't do the homework before this. Um, But then Bono just like laid down on the stage I just remember thinking, wow, there is nothing this guy can't do that's not, like, there's nothing he does that's not cool. Like, everything he does is cool. It'd be the most random thing, but he's cool. And then just stuff like, you know, how he, you know, he had the American flag, you know, in the inside of his jacket. He took it off and turned it inside out and, you know, hung it on the microphone. And I, yep. you know, that, you know, stuff like that. And so, and then obviously the stuff with him running the names, but it was just, it was so much fun and everybody's kind of let their breath out through all of it. Um, I remember kite being like halfway through. So you had like all the fun at the beginning of it. And then kite, which was a song that just felt like it was without me even knowing it, it felt like he was speaking to me personally and like to my own personal situation that was separate from nine 11. And then just kind of the rest of the show just being joyful, but then the, you know, the tribute to everybody who had been through stuff and then the collective, grief that everybody was allowed to feel in those moments with the the names being uh, shown on the sheets and that sort of thing. But it still didn't, you were allowed to grieve, but you were allowed to walk out of there feeling like, wow, I think it might be okay. (laughs) And kind of in the same way, I am really, really looking forward to this happening after the current times that we're going through, because it also feels like, and I've been, we're going to get into this in a minute, so I don't want to jump the gun, but I feel like this album also fits into what we're going through right now with COVID. Like it's a sad, scary, prolonged time, but I cannot wait for the first show when this is all we're going to get to the other side of this. Cause I think the first shows in the tour, I, you know, if anybody's hasn't maybe seen them in a while, I think that, I mean, I'm hopeful, but I think the tour next where they do after this is going to be similar to the elevation belt. And the column went to 11 of them. So maybe you can speak to that a little bit more, but I don't know. I'm just, I kind of have a feeling about that, that it's going to be the same kind of, public it's okay to get everything out of it all the stress you've been feeling um i can't wait for that whenever they tour again i'm there because i can't wait to feel that way again you know it's yeah to feel okay and to feel to be publicly be like you know what it's it's okay that you haven't been okay for however long this goes on you know whether it's months or years but i i really feel like these the 20 year anniversary of this is just weirdly appropriate because i'm listening to that album all the time and this album brings me the same comfort it did after 9 11 and with that tour and that's why i'm just like stacking the vacation days because i don't need them for anything else right now so that's right for the next tour and you know i really got out there listening i hope they have something incredible but i do hope it's kind of you know with the, the josh between the other ones they were you know 
big giant productions, but I really hope it's a similar experience to what Elevation was. And I hope that they kind of look back on that and kind of maybe try to recreate it 20 some odd years later. But Colin, tell us about the 11 shows. I want to hear. Well, we, we, uh, we bought tickets for, I live in Chicago and you know, U2 is very generous to Chicago. And um, so we got four shows on this tour on the first leg and then two shows on the second time they came back. Uh, so six times in Chicago. But we, we still didn't know like what all this these tickets were like, what the tic- how the ticket tier prices were doing were, were, were to be interpreted. So we bought like Golden Circle $100, $90 tickets uh, for sh- Chicago shows and then bought GA for, uh, you know, uh, Indianapolis, Madison, uh, Louisville, Detroit. And we're just like, well, let's, we'll just do GA. And then in Chicago, we'll, I guess we'll have seats or something. We don't know what really what to expect because we didn't see the stage yet. And um, it, it was kind of like, oh man, we should have just bought GA for everything. Because being in the stands after being in three GA, you know, being in the GA for, I think we did three shows in the GA and then we had to like be in the stands in Chicago. We were like spoiled brats, like sitting in the stands going, I want to be down there, you know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's where the party is. Or I, I feel like we got gypped or we got, I don't know, like this, I thought we were getting golden circle. I thought that was like golden privilege seat or something like that. This isn't golden <laughs> circle. This is sitting in a seat. Um, <laughs> that was, sorry, that made me laugh. No, wasn't there a quote from that tour where he was like the best seats in the house are 40 bucks or something like yeah. that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Quote from that time. Yeah. And he's, yeah, he's totally right. Yeah, right. absolutely. And they made that decision. They're like, you know, I have friends who go to shows and they're like, they still have seats, like chairs on the floor. And I'm like, what are you doing? Right. I and haven't it, been in a seat since probably this tour. And it was controversial you know, so, at the time. It was like, what's the point? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, first off, they are cheaper. Second, you can move around. Mm-hmm. Third, it's a lot more fun. Most of the time, I will say the only show. I've ever had trouble with being on the floor because I'm five two. I'm short, Amy. So I people always, always let me walk in front of them because they can see right over me. And um, you know, but it was in New York, uh, innocence and experience, I think, one of those nights. And I couldn't get past people and I was just like, Wow. Um and I ended up going back around towards, you know, one of those platforms where the family was, you know, they were all there watching all the, all the kids wander around, but, um, you know, I could see it better, but I was just like, I couldn't get very close to the, any part of the stage, which was crazy. But anyway, so yeah, I'm a big GA person too. Mm -hmm. I think that's the way to go. A hundred percent. Yeah. I I don't think I've been in a seat since. Oh, well, no, actually I did one uh, in the vertigo tour. I, I took a seat once. Um, but, but yeah, and it was controversial at the time for them to do GA because I think it Pearl was. Jam had, uh, someone died in a, in a, in a GA like mob at a Pearl Jam show. And that sort of cast a dark shadow over the idea of doing GA. Um, but you know, when you walked in there, there was a lot of security, like, you know, they didn't want anyone rushing the stage. It was very well, 
uh, organized so that there would be, you know, so, so that people wouldn't get hurt. And really, at this point, U2's crowd isn't interested in mobbing the stage, really. You yeah. know, we were all on board with, like, being civil with each other. And, and you know, we just wanted to have a good time. Um, I did wear my, uh, my, my favorite show was uh, the Indianapolis show uh, because it was Bono's birthday. And um, I wore my McFisto suit to the show. And, uh, oh, yeah, I had full McFisto uh, suit, makeup, everything, the the devil horns. And I got a spot, like, at the outer tip of the heart, which was kind of our favorite spot that ended up being our favorite spot was the outer tip of the heart because that's how you could see the whole show. Um, And uh, and Bono didn't bring me on stage, which I thought maybe he would. But uh, Bullet the Blue Sky, he put his hand out and, and held my hand for an extended period of time during bullet the blue sky and i thought well that's 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 cool um there's <laughs> i don't nice. i don't know what i was expecting but it was it was it was great it was like a party that day just you know with all the u2 fans because it was bono's birthday there was like confetti everywhere and everything right it was so much fun. fun yeah um so let's uh let's so now we're we're 20 years later and uh, they're they're re-releasing the album, this big deluxe box set um, with with bonus tracks. That if if you collected the singles when they came out, and the and you had the million dollar hotel soundtrack, there's really nothing new in terms of of material. Or and also, if you have the um, the uh, what the heck is it called? Medium rare and remastered propaganda yep. CD that has some of the songs on it. Um, right. If you have those three things, you, there's really nothing new here. The most new thing they put on here are some remixes of, um, you know, like when I look at the world and and in a little while and and uh, and some other some other songs. So it's kind of like the Joshua Tree uh, box set that came out a couple of years ago. It's kind of like that all over again. That being said, uh, I think the the B sides and the, and the outtakes of this album are stellar. I, I think this is a solid collection of songs uh, that are or omitted from the album for whatever reason and uh, make a great CD in and of themselves. Sometimes that doesn't happen, uh, but it certainly happened here. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, I was reading back through this and all of the versions and remixes and the B-sides. And I have, you know, these songs in other places or versions of them. But I think, um, well, not all of them. There's a couple in there I do not have. I think what this could be, because you know how the fans were always saying, hey, release the stuff you never did. The hardcore fans love that stuff. It's what we want. You know, don't give us some fluffy thing that we've heard before or, you know, we've gotten 20 times or it's on the best of. And so I think this may be a response to that. Um, I don't know for sure that it is, but if it isn't, you know, good for them either way, because they've got so many versions of different things and all the B-sides. And it puts it in one place, like you said. Um, mm-hmm. I, to me, maybe this will make some of the hardcore people happy. I don't know. But yeah. I think there's, if you can't find things you like in here, then I I got nothing for you. Yeah, then you still didn't find what you're looking for, right? So, right. Right? right. right. Sorry, fine. You should find. I have them. I have lots of them. 
No, yeah. I'm so excited for this. I've already pre-ordered it. Um, I can't wait to get it all yeah. in one spot because on the Cube I've kind of got them like kind of all over the place. Yeah, I'm excited to have them all together. Um, and I'm yeah, I'm excited. Just, I would love to have been at these recording sessions. I know everybody talks about Hansa Studios and iTunes Baby and stuff, but this was Windmill Lane, if I'm correct, Colin. Correct yeah, me if I'm wrong. Uh, yeah, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Lane. Oh, no, it was well. They were at Hanover K at the time. Okay, weren't they? But uh, Dublin, right? Like they're yeah, like, they were in Dublin for sure. Yes, right. When they recorded it, and that's like I remember going there a couple of years ago and like being outside the studio, and my friend was like, "Yeah, that's where they recorded all that you can't leave behind," and I was like, "That's incredible," you know. So <laughs> yeah, it's pretty yeah, cool I'm, to like look at that. Yeah. Let me ask yeah. uh, Marty, since this is your your favorite album of all time, or any, any uh-huh. of you can chime in on this. But there's there's one sticking point to this that that drives me nuts. Um, with with all that you can't leave behind, the I I think the album should end with Grace. Um, putting ground beneath her feet at the end, I think I don't I don't I don't like that as as an album purist, as somebody who like pays attention to sequencing <laughs> and like you know like the journey of the album ends here. Don't put a bonus track after it because it kind of ruins it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think I think that's the one thing I would change about this is take the ground beneath her feet and put it on the bonus track CD, not put it with the album. Um, but that's how that's how the album was released in some parts of the world. Uh, right. the, same thing with pop. They did that with uh, Holy Joe. And then I think uh, all the, uh, Atomic Bomb, they added Fast Cars to some copies. Right. Drives me right. nuts. Um, I want the album to be the album and not like, you know, don't <laughs> yeah. mess with it. Uh, what do you guys think of that? Are you guys sticklers for you're that totally like right. I am? No, or? you're totally right. Okay. I, yeah. yeah. I don't know what Marty thinks, but. I agree. I agree. I've I've actually only experienced the album ending on Grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of what you were saying, Colin, about homework. I I actually didn't realize there was like so much more that I hadn't discovered or like like come across in just like the YouTube or the internet and and yeah so I was like googling it and I didn't realize that there were versions of it in other countries around the world that had ground beneath her feet yeah. at the end cuz grace to me is like the perfect I've said this to my dad a few times uh the experience and innocence tour, the most recent one, minus the quick Joshua Tree in in um, m- minus the 2019 Joshua Tree, mm-hmm. the experience innocence, right? They ended every show with 13, and while I still think it fit, I might be biased here, but I think Grace would have been the perfect. End, ender to that show because it's sort of in the same kind of like style of song like it's kind of like really low-key there's a lot of of it's very dark sounding sort of like how 13 is i don't think 13 has any drums in it really but like to me i you know i obviously prefer grace this being my favorite album if they had ended it with grace also a song they had never performed before um and they still haven't like live that would, you know, that would have been perfect. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I completely agree. The perfect ending to an album. It's super mellow. You have that like sliding weird, like guitar solo thing that kind of ends it off. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. I think it would have been fine if they put that ground beneath their feet as a bonus track. So it's like, mm. 
Yes. Know? My first copy of the album didn't have that. And then I lost it. How did I lost that? You know, college, moving, grad school, you name it. Um, right. And then when I went to replace it, I was like, what? What is this? So I loved the Ram Beneath Their Feet. I'm not going to lie. I do love it. But I still wish I could find my original copy of it that didn't have that on there because I think you're totally right, Colin. I think <laughs> yeah. that that's, yeah, it's just end to end. And like what you're talking about earlier, I'm not repeating it, but like if you play the song, you play the album backwards, not on a loop, but if you play it starting with Grace and then ending with, you know, The Beautiful Day or you place it in reverse order, um, it's a really kind of crazy way to listen to it and to kind of hear you know, mm-hmm. different feelings and kind of get different feelings from it, listening to it in that reverse order. So I think you're totally right. So, yeah. And, and, and by the way, uh, I, I, you probably know this, uh, uh, Marty, but maybe you don't, um, the, every elevation show ended with grace being played on the PA as people were filing out. Um, That's so interesting. I, I did not know that. Yeah. I mean, so it, they never, it was never played live, but it was, played on this on the pa ever at every show so which is fair because it's i mean i don't know arrangement wise i don't know how i'm sure there's a way obviously there there's a way for everything probably but i don't know how they would have done it live and that in that elevation tour show i don't know if it would have fit walk on was the perfect ender to the show maybe it would have been in the middle or something before you know, you kick it back up with like streets and bad or something like that. But, but that's interesting. I didn't know that they ended like, you know, the walkout PA song was, uh, was grace. So mm-hmm. the morning. Out. Yeah. I had not remembered that. Yeah. yeah. I had no idea. And so, another, I mean, I was there about it. Remember? So, yeah. And another thing they did with this album that they had never done before was like a big talk show circuit tour. Like they went out, they were not, uh, U2 is not big into like going on talk shows and Saturday Night Live and, and just being, you know, promoting themselves. It's weird to think about that, but it's true that there was a time, I mean, like the first 20 years where they kind of like were trying to maintain this, you, you know, this mystique about them and being very choosy about what shows they would, you know, appear on to promote their stuff, uh, if any. Um, but on uh, this this album, they didn't work. They weren't going to take anything for granted uh, like they did with pop. Um, they 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 got out there, and I think that that made a difference. And it and it just uh, you know, I think that was another reason for the success that this album had. Um, yeah, I think you're right. So is that with the Super Bowl, Colin? Do you know? Because every time I talk about this, everyone goes, "Oh yeah, didn't they play the Super Bowl that year?" Like they people who don't know you two and don't care remember yeah. them playing at the Super Bowl, right? Was, oh yeah, you know, Rams that Patriots was in that. Uh, yeah. part of it like 2002 mm-hmm. no yeah, no i think okay. they were invited i well honestly i don't remember if talks were in place ahead of that because you know they usually get bands like way ahead of time right mm-hmm. the halftime entertainment yeah. i don't remember but i don't remember that's a good <laughs> question yeah i think i think they had that uh that they had that gig lined up they um, probably did yeah pretty early on uh, and that was part of it. That, again, that was the same thing. It was like that you two would never play the Super Bowl in, in the 90s. You know, that that no way. But uh, but yeah. Okay, so uh, I think we I think we covered everything about yeah. this album. It is uh, it absolutely deserves the anniversary, the big deluxe anniversary status. It is you know I think there are three albums in U two's, uh, um, you know, albumography. 
the word isn't coming to me, discography, um, that, uh, you know, merit this kind of attention. And, you know, obviously Joshua Tree, Octon Baby, and All That You Can't Leave Behind, I think are the big three that, that anchor their, their career uh, in, in a way. Um, and just solidifies them as a, as, you know, a force to be reckoned with in rock history. No question. So thank you all for, for, for joining me on this. Um, this is a lot of fun. I don't have my fade out music right now, so we're just going to have to pretend it's there. I will edit it in later. Um, it's been fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. I wish they would play it all the way through. I'm with Marty. I would, you two take my money, uh, because I, if I could hear this album played all the way through, sign me up. If they sign did me up. If they didn't know that you can't leave behind anniversary tour where they played this start to finish, I would, I would spend, yeah. I would dig into my life savings. Yep. <laughs> I would be going to as many shows as I could. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I think that would be, and I think it would might be kind of cool after like a segment earlier, after all this going on, this would be the perfect album to hear live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it, actually, that's not a bad idea. No, yeah. yeah. And then, yeah. And then play some new stuff too. I'm not opposed to new stuff either, but yeah, I would love to see that. Well, I, yeah. You know. Always new, but it would be fun, you mm-hmm. know, if they, if they did it, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. Maybe they're working on it right now. We just don't That's know that. right. They're, right coming up, they're coming up with their next ideas. The they have said they're working. You know, there you go. So, yeah. There you go. Right. This was fun. Yeah, definitely let us know. Yeah, hopefully everybody out there, check it out. If you haven't, you know, we're gone back to your, you know, all that you can't leave behind memories. Um, definitely hope it gives you something to think about. I, I love that our discussions, and I think that all of our discussions are really cool, and they kind of give fans something to kind of think about. And um, hopefully everybody else out there in YouTube fandom, so talking about your all that you can't leave behind memories because I'm sure you got a lot of them too. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. come come interact with us on Twitter or yeah, on absolutely. Facebook. Yeah, twitter.com slash at you too, facebook.com slash at you too, instagram.com slash at you too. Marty, you're, you're, you're in charge of the whole uh, uh, social media aspect, right? That's uh, kind of your role. So I'm, I'm one of the, I'm one of the staffers. So I think yeah. Jessica mm-hmm. is kind of in charge of the, right. Jessica and Brian are kind of the, the leaders yeah. of our social media team. I know yeah. uh, Amy actually mentioned the, when they played stuck in a moment in what was it? Where, where did they play it on the Sydney. Joshua Tree tour? It was oh, in Joshua, Sydney. It was in Sydney. Yeah. It was in Sydney. I, yeah, I think, Sydney. I think I can't remember if I was doing both of those, but I was live tweeting. Oh. It was definitely the first night I was live tweeting the first night of that tour of not the tour when they played um, stuck. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, that that's another memory that I have of like, you know, I'm sitting there like, and and obviously going into it, I think it was like really late in my time, but I had known just from being on Twitter, you know, all that stuff that it was the anniversary of Michael Hutchinson's death. Yeah, it was the exact same night. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and so like I, you know, I I in my head I was like, oh, I know, I know what's gonna happen. Like they they're gonna play stuck. They have to. Like, there's no way they're not. And yeah, you know, I had I had my tweets ready. I was like, you know, yeah, it was really cool because I felt the same way. I love that album, and I there was so much like conjecture ahead of time about what they were going to do it, and they did. And then the whole night, though, as you're there, you're like, is this going to be it? Is this going to be it? And then they did it, and they did the montage and stuff. But I'm with yeah. you as a all that you can't leave behind fan. Um, all of the stuff, the kind of all the emotions and everything. Yeah, it was a cool. And then they did it the second night because they said the second night that they'd gotten such a warm. Um, reception like around the world people would send them messages and they were like oh we're gonna do it again and it was cool so yeah. I agree not to digress Colin I know you're wrapping up <laughs> going back so I'm sorry that's okay but that's alright no it's um, really cool 
So, uh, so yeah, we're wrapping up, and uh, I don't know what our next episode is going to be about, when it'll drop, but uh, I want to plant this in in your ear for now, listeners. Uh, start in next year, 2021, uh, well, uh, it's obviously the 30-year anniversary of Akhtun Baby, and uh, had an idea for to celebrate that um, all year round. We are going to... Uh, dissect that album song by song starting in january with zoo station and february with even better than the real thing and march with one and so on until we get to december for love is blindness merry christmas um <laughs> merry christmas everybody love is blindness this is that's gonna be awesome yes. uh yeah uh so we're, we're very excited about that idea so at the very least in january you can count on an episode about zoo station uh dropping in, in our podcast feed uh before that uh hopefully we'll have some more stuff going on but again it's all about scheduling and it's and we, our schedules don't always meet so uh, but anyway, thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll you know give us some ideas on Twitter about shows, you know, topics maybe you want us to cover, and uh, and maybe we'll do one. So uh, until then, thank you very much for listening. Mm-hmm.